Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It is May 10th. We have a very special guest on our show today. Andy's back. How's it going? Woo! Andy! The reason why Andy's back is because we are kicking off uh, a sporadic but still somewhat sustained celebration of three years of Time to Say Goodbye, which is crazy to think about. Three years is longer. Yeah, it's longer than any job I've ever had, I think. (laughs) Now that I think about it. How long did you do the pod on coin, the coin talk pod? I think a year and a half or something. (sighs) But that wasn't a job. No, I know. It's longer than any. Is this a job? W2. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying I've been doing this podcast longer than I've done any job. (laughs) Yeah, well. (laughs) Now I think about it. Yeah, I have this like, uh, you know, like when you start a job, you get, Sometimes if you have benefits, you get like a 401k, you know? Yeah. there's just like a, mine looks like a, uh, it looks like a bag of Skittles or something. Where <laughs> you have the start and stop where it's like you do the 401k for like four months. Four months you roll it over into an IRA <laughs> yeah, for the next yeah. job. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, it's like a grab bag, you know, like <laughs> yeah. a pinata of small accounts. <laughs> Eager savings, tiny amounts of savings. <laughs> I mean, it's good. You keep getting hired. Oh yeah. But that's, uh, it's a, you know, it's been, we wanted to bring on a flurry of guests from the history of the show and to go over some of the things that we said back then and to kind of talk about whether or not we were right or if we thought about it. Uh, there's just been a lot of stuff we How said. How the world on the show. changed. I don't even remember half of the stuff that I've said or things that I thought. Um, and so, you know, you as the listeners have been very very loyal to the show in a way that is always flattering and kind of mind-boggling to all of us. And so we wanted to start, obviously, with Andy and bring him on. He was here for episode one, which was about three years ago, right? When did the pandemic start? Like March? Um, it was, yeah, it was mid-March. Uh, the Rudy Gobert press yeah. conference was the... Oh, and I yeah. think our first episode was April, right? Yeah, just last month. Was I wish... There wasn't enough like done about that day. I feel like you know the th- the, the anniversary. Tom Hanks, yeah, the Tom Hanks day, day whatever yeah. day the <laughs> pandemic became real. Yeah, and pe- there were sweeping lockdowns across the country. Yeah, that should be. But I think basically we're in the space now where everybody's trying to memory hold the pandemic as much as possible. And yeah, everything that was done. I was thinking about that where. We don't even really do these retrospectives at this point on Fauci or anything like that, you know? He almost seems like he's there's an active attempt to try and put him in a memory hole, right? Like where people forget how, want to forget how central he was to people's lives for a period of like months and months and months when we were trying to figure out what this pandemic was. Tim, you're grimacing. I'm not like, I'm not like advocating for ivermectin right now. I'm just saying, like, you know, I think there's like a. (laughs) There's like a weird yeah. thing going on right now. My uh, my kids' school made masks optional, which is kind of late, I guess, compared to all the other places. Yeah, but totally. it was one of those milestones where I guess for like the 30th time, you're like, oh, is the pandemic finally over? Wait, they just did that? That was really recent. Right, right. Yeah. It was today. Monday. Oh, wow. yeah. day? Yeah. It's an Asian school, so they're very good about these things. Oh, I was going to say, I was like, that's... Something like, weird. That's Philadelphia Public School. No, no, it's not Philly Public. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. You can guess 
if you know Phil, you can guess which one. The yeah, yeah, three Asian years. School. Wow, that's but, uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. There's been like all these one with like all these moments where you're like the pandemic is finally over, but it's actually not, or actually maybe it never yeah. ended, or maybe it never started. I don't know. Like when the kid first got the vaccine, I thought uh, our pandemic was over, but then you worry about the next wave, and then you worry about the updates, and then you worry about um, yeah, the next winter wave. Do you find it weird that like yeah. thinking back on that first moment of the vaccine coming out and how everyone really did think like we can't spread it if we have the vaccine and then people just kind of went crazy that summer. I th- That's another moment where I just feel kind of like weirded out thinking back on it where I'm just like, man, we really like I don't know what it was, but many people I know, at least the majority of people I know really did think like we can't tr- transmit this thing re- if we hmm. If we get the vaccine, uh, wow! Isn't it? And I still kind of believe that. Isn't it true? <laughs> no, I mean, no, no. It's not can't, true. Which can't transmit a serious. I mean, you I won't. Know. You won't die, right? That's yeah, the main benefit, like right? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, but, we're getting darker. Are you, darker are you better? Yeah. Soon. Have you recovered? Oh yeah, I'm fine. My yeah. sense of smell came back too, which uh, you know is fine. But right. I think it's a little bit weaker still. But it's like. That I can smell stuff again, and I don't really. Yeah, it's I'm fine. That's Everybody's nice. fine, but uh, we had a very luckily mild case, and everyone's fine. Uh, Andy, how's that? I wanted before we launch into what is going to be a lengthy conversation about China. I wanted to co- ask you first, like, what is it like in the city of Philadelphia right now with the Sixers uh, <laughs> in the NBA playoffs? The, tying not, it up last night. It's not an NBA town. Um, with the Eagles, there's green everywhere. Phillies, yeah, there's red everywhere. The Sixers, I don't know. It doesn't feel like there's a big NBA town, but maybe oh, it's really? just... Interesting. I don't think anyone believed. I don't think anyone still believes, but you know, they had a, a big win last night, so maybe for the first time people might believe. Um, <laughs> I'm, yeah, my relationship with the Sixers is I kind of think they're frauds, um, and uh, I, I, have a hard time, I have a hard time getting behind them. And I, I mean, they're, you know, their main star... I mean, they're very much an import of this Houston team, that I hated for much of the decade, their general manager, their star player, James Harden. And they're just like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to get into like a big conversation about this. No, just, we don't have to get in a big conversation yeah. about it, but it's like Philly doesn't have that much presence for that. That's interesting to me. It's like I mean, the opposite of Jen Wilson. I, yeah. <laughs> I know Jen is a big Sixers fan. I mean, yeah. NBA is typically the third sport in most big cities. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Well, right. that's tip, especially on the East Coast, that's true. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The only city where the NBA is the top draw is Los Angeles, right? With the Lakers. So? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's not it. even and, like the Warriors in the Bay. No, like, it's still the Niners. Niners. I mean, like, Giants. yeah, it's like, the, the, I think NBA fans have a real sense of delusion because uh, of how big their sports are compared to the NFL. Right. right? And um, the Warriors are probably close in terms of like the Lakers in, ter- in terms of having a very big NBA presence right Right now. But that's really just developed in the last, you know, eight right. years or whatever. And um, mm-hmm. while the sport is a big deal here, like, and I think in, Boston, the Celtics are probably a big deal, but they're far behind the Patriots right. there. You yeah. know? And so that it's, it's like basically we're we're all like in like in maybe in New York the Knicks right now feel like a big deal, but they're never gonna be a bigger deal than the Giants right. and the Yankees the and the Jets. Yankees. You know? So it's uh 
I guess I see a lot of Sixers gear more than when I first moved here, but uh, it just doesn't feel like a basketball town. It feels like, so. I mean, obviously they lost the Super Bowl, they lost the World Series, so um, they have some big (laughs) shoes to fill to lose in the NBA Finals uh, to match match their other teams. Um, Are you mostly like stuck at home anyway because of your new kid? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, the the tough part is all these basketball games are on so late, but we have to, for the sake of the children, wake up early. So I'm trying to like negotiate. I mean, this is like where the West Coast is truly a better coast than the East Coast, where these games end <laughs> right, for the timing. Oh uh, yeah, it's great. I don't understand how people watch this stuff. It's like, uh, it's like horrible. I feel horrible right now. The game start. The game tonight is starting at ten o'clock. I know. You know? Wow. This whole week, there's like yeah. five oh straight ten o'clock games, and, uh, and it yeah, ends yeah. at like one. P- like so do you rec- sometimes the record them and watch them in the morning? I mean, that's if you like... You have to be careful not to check the internet. I know, I know. <laughs> it's becoming more impossible to do that, you know? like Yeah, it's impossible. Back in the I day, like, you could record it on your VCR mm-hmm. and not use the internet because it didn't exist. Not cheap, but right. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know, just like logging into my phone, I'll get like 10 text messages about the game or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem totally. is text messages more than anything. Yeah. I mean, I cannot look at Twitter. It's fine, but I don't know. <laughs> All right, here's the next. Uh, here we go. The first thing that we want to talk about here. What we're going to do for the show is we're going to play a clip, and then we're going to all assess whether or not the clip was right. The first one is mostly Andy <laughs> talking, and so it'll be very fun because it's like, was Andy right or not? All right, so here we go. This is from horrible, by the way. <laughs> April 13th, 2020. You know, this wow. is our first episode. None of us thought that this was really going to be a podcast. We're just kind of bored and sitting around. And uh, First time meeting Andy, like seeing Andy, hearing Andy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's <laughs> that right. day. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Obviously, like the, the conversation that happens in the United States is anti-Asian American, anti-Chinese American, anti-Chinese diaspora racism, right? And how do you account for that? Um, and I think a lot of it comes from, you know, the pandemic and both and the anti-Chinese backlash or the anti-Asian backlash kind of come from the same thing, which is that they're both would not have been possible without this sort of rise of China the last 20, 30 years, right? Like the pandemic would not have happened if China was this sort of socialist, um, sort of nationalized economy like it was in the 20th century. Yeah. And similarly, yeah. right? And similarly, I think the, the backlash might have happened in a different form, but the, backla- the, the form it's taken today is obviously an extension of fears of China taking, every, taking away everything, which was already happening before, you know, the calendar turned to 2020, mm-hmm. right? So I kind of think that it's... So I kind of think of these kind of two sides of the same coin. Okay. Yikes. That's the first Andy. clip. Andy, let, you don't get to, you go third here, right? <laughs> Tammy, what do you think about Andy's take about, you know, how basically at the beginning of the pandemic that the backlash towards both backlashes, right? Andy, tell me yeah. if I'm mischaracterizing what your point was, that um, both backlashes came out of, a general growing fear of China. Yeah, I think that I think that is what Andy was trying to say. And I think that assessment has been proven only more correct, actually, over these past few years. I think that even though maybe some of these just the conversation we've been having around anti-Asian violence, I think like within Asian American circles, we've been able to process some of that and hopefully 
I don't know, reduce the worst tendencies of that. I think in terms of U.S. policy toward China, it seems to have become more bipartisan and more vehement, actually. It's a big driver of a lot of stuff that Biden's doing for better or for worse. So it sounds kind of prescient listening to it now. I mean, obviously, Andy was commenting within the context of the pandemic, but I think what he was kind of setting up in terms of the connections of global capitalism and the way that you know China has become this really heavy bogeyman for us is basically right. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I basically would agree with that too, which is, but I do think that what, for the first two years of the show, and I think that we weren't alone in this, that we were sort of, we were predicting a much hotter cold war than what has been established, right? Um, meaning that it would be much more at the front and center of people's lives, right? China would be, and that there would be much more policy in the form of sanctions or whatever, like even human rights stuff around Xinjiang or whatever, right? Like that there would be a lot of stuff that would that China would have the central part as the United States' main enemy. And I do think that for the main most part, that hasn't quite materialized. And I don't really know why. Yeah, because I don't oh. think that China is anywhere close to what Russia was when we were growing up in the 80s, right? Or in the 90s. That's interesting. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I was recently on a panel asked to talk about anti-Asianism and I was like, I honestly couldn't think of any other explanation other than what I just said like three years ago, <laughs> something about like geopolitics and so on. And because otherwise it doesn't really make sense to explain if there, you know, to the extent there is a spike, um, like how do you explain the timing of the spike other than some sort of broader thing that's happening? I mean, I guess the fear is that, I mean, the, the issue is sort of like so much of this anti-Asian American, you know, stop AAPI hate discourse wants to divorce Asian American issues from geopolitical issues. Like talking about like, we're not actually foreigners. We're not actually like, we shouldn't, this shouldn't be reducible to China. We're not, we actually love the U S we, we hate China and all that stuff. Um, so that might, instead that of might, dealing with that interconnection, yeah, that might complicate it, but just from a bird's eye view, I feel like it's hard to come up with an explanation. That's not just about that has no connection to like the broader geopolitical tensions between the two countries. So yeah, I don't know that, but it's, I don't know. It's like a lot of the stuff is also just like, we're just like talking about vibes. It's like, it's hard to tell yeah. you know, like yeah. what any of this is. I agree. You know, I don't know, Tammy, how do you factor this part in, in terms of all of this? Like, I think sometimes when we talk about geopolitical issues that sometimes we are a bit too, like we have a tendency to sometimes be a bit glib about it and say X and X exist in a vacuum. Therefore X must influence Y. Right. But like there is just this kind of basic thing, which is like there was a world changing pandemic and it did come from a country and people did have their lives <laughs> upended because of it. And people are, tend to be pretty racist <laughs> about how they explain things. Yes, this know? is true. <laughs> and so like it's very hard to think of a situation where some people would not be racist against Asian people post yeah. the yeah. coronavirus. Do you know what I mean? Like it could have come from any country. And I think that that country would have been blamed to a certain extent and that the people living in America who are from that country would have been blamed unless it was like Western Europe. I was going right? to say it was France or Germany or something. <laughs> yeah. right, exactly. Australia or something like that. But <laughs> yeah. even then they would like find a way to 
to probably blame the brown people in those countries, you know, like, it would, <laughs> it would, like but any other country than like the ones that like people like root for, for weird reasons in soccer, you know, like, Oh, I'm rooting for France in the world. Cup. It's like, why, you know, but like, um, <laughs> like, you know, like if you go to Trinity college where people go study abroad, those countries, right. right. right? Like those, ones, those ones are, right. <laughs> those ones are excluded. but um, like, let's say it came from India, you know, like right. it would have been bad for Indian yeah. Americans, right? Yeah. Like that, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, definitely. And I think, I think on this show, I mean, we've tried to apply skepticism to a lot of these causal relationships, but I, I don't think we ever, well, hopefully we never sounded like we were being flip about it or shake, shook it off. Cause I do right. think also that, yes, of course, like people are making that causal connection and then it leads to bringing out the worst of already existing racisms in people. And I think it would be a mistake to discount completely what Trump and other people in that administration were doing with that information, because clearly that was convenient for them. Um, I also have been thinking about how right now what we're seeing in terms of the Republican Democratic consensus against China and economic stuff, including you know trying to prevent certain technologies from going to China, et cetera, are essentially piggybacking on the resentments of the pandemic in a convenient way, but you know, are things that they kind of wanted to do anyway. At the same time, there's this incredibly complicated thing where they obviously can't just shut down China and that economy because we rely on it so much. So I think in in, in that sort of way, that I think that's what makes this thing so different from the Cold War or from, you know, yeah. a military situation because of this interconnectedness. Yeah. Andy, what do you think about that? Like, what, how do, like do, you, do you agree with Tammy's framing of this? I think I do. Yeah. Well, before we pivot to that real quickly, I feel like the Spanish flu would be the counterexample. I don't know if that led to a lot of anti-Spanish racism. <laughs> well, it started in Ohio. That, yeah, it started elsewhere, I know, but it was though. Yeah. The Spanish flu. I don't know yeah. if it led right. to a lot of like anti- yeah. I wonder when that name started know, sticking. Right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, we do have... Like right. I mean, like right. Ebola, for example. Ebola yeah, didn't... Ebola, but right. Ebola didn't really have the... It wasn't, it didn't last long it was enough the, for people. Exactly. The scale. Really it was racism, but it wasn't nearly on this scale. Definitely. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. It wasn't right. state-sponsored racism like the same way. Yeah. Um, um, okay. Um, the China, like, um, I do think that there's, yeah, there's definitely indications that, I, I've just been thinking about this for something else I'm writing. Like, they're, they're, like the U.S. was already trying to move against China um, on mm-hmm. a lot of these so-called like critical industries before 2020. So, right, it was a really, in a lot of ways, an acceleration. And then if you look at the kind of recent stuff, uh, you know, we like passed around a few articles before this, like, I actually kind of think there's a bit of a softening. Uh, there might be a bit of a softening. I don't know if that's, if it's true or not. Maybe, maybe all the sort of leftist, progressive or anti uh, Asian American activism got to the Democrats, but they've begun to try to soften <laughs> this China demonization stuff while at the same time maintaining this, like, you know, we're still going to like, uh, guard against them and treat them as a hostile or not, whatever, you know, they have this like mixed mm-hmm. metaphor of uh small yard high fence, which is to say the U S wants to protect a small set of technologies, basically like semiconductors and whatever, like security technology, but then put a high fence, like have like really strong security around it, but they're not going to stop obviously things like yeah. clothes and uh, I don't know, just like all like everyday consumer goods or plastics right. or whatever that they that we buy from China all the time. So they they I think they realized I think we all realized from the beginning like decoupling was probably not going to happen. You know, right, um, right. And, um, and it's just the Cold War analogy. I don't think 
you know, it's like if the USSR was this sort of like inverted image of the US, like the socialist version of a modern like vision of modernity or whatever, like China is much less of an inverted image. They're just like a mirror image. <laughs> But with, like, I know. with like that democracy, basically. <laughs> oh, what do you think? I, I, like that? Okay, so that decoupling has not happened. And I think that throughout the show, we've all said that it wasn't going to happen, right? Because There's it was like going to be impossible for it yeah. to happen. Yeah. <laughs> all these scenarios where people are like, we'll just move everything to Vietnam. We're like, no, you're not. You know, or like, we'll move everything <laughs> to Bangladesh. We're like, you won't, though, right? Like, there's longstanding relationships that make people a lot of money here in the United States. And in fact, not only make people a lot of money, but entire industries and infrastructures are dependent on. Yeah. They're not just going to end all this because and just like straight up capacity issues. Yeah, right? because like <laughs> three politicians are trying to like have some talking points or <laughs> or that, you know, like it, it's just because even Trump didn't really do it. Right. And so then like what's going to actually happen if the one dude who's just like, who cares? I don't give a fuck. Let's just do it because I'm bored right. today. I didn't do it. Then nobody's going to do it. Right. And so. Um, I do think that that's part of the reason why, like, there hasn't been this full on, like, Mm -hmm. where there's been a little bit of reticence to it. And maybe that'll just be the end of it, right? Like, I just don't really, like, the you know, the one institution, Andy, that has totally decoupled itself from China is the NBA. (laughs) (laughs) Is that true? Let me think. Uh, So what was that meant for the NBA? (laughs) They don't do, like, the whole summer... They don't yeah, promote right. the summer yeah, tour, yeah. all that we'll stuff that. anymore. Oh, yeah. They just, they just ended COVID zero. We'll see the summer. Yeah, yeah. Like uh-huh. maybe Nike and Adidas will resume their tours, but not oh yeah, I'm day. sure. I'm sure they're waiting with bated breath <laughs> for the opportunity to where they feel comfortable doing it again. Like it's not like they don't want to do it, right? It's just that like right now they don't really do it. May, is it? Right. Do you think it is because of like uh, China's COVID zero thing? Is that why it is? I think it? so initially. It's harder to get there? I don't know. Like flights to China are crazy expensive. Like people are still say, like, it's, it's still not normal like that, yet. right? Yeah. yeah. It's okay. like 3,000 bucks to fly to China right now. Wow. Um, not that it affects NBA players, but you know. Well, I think yeah. like people aren't really, things aren't back to normal yet. Um. I think, I mean, one difference between Trump and Biden is like the Biden has embraced or whatever, like the administration has embraced industrial policy. Yes. Like CHIPS Act, IRA or Build Back, mm-hmm. whatever it used to be called. So Trump was all about tariffs. Like, let's just get trade deals done. All right. Biden has actually moved in this direction of like, let's build our own factories. But I think what has happened is they're slowly realizing these factories are not going to happen anytime soon and they're not going to be good enough so that, you know. I don't know. I, like they're obviously going forward with this Chips Act and all that stuff, but from everything I've looked, I mean, but, but everything I mean, just I've Googled, it doesn't. It seems like the <laughs> no one's like that, not that optimistic about it. Like, yeah, it can make a dent, but like the infrastructure for all these like high tech things took decades to make. Right. And the U.S. Yeah. can't just like, well, and a bunch of the subsidies are going to go to Asian companies that are building plants here. That's the other thing. So right? that's the mix. You know, it's made in America, but half of it is Samsung and TMC. And the, you know, a quarter of it is Intel. So it's a very complicated I picture. I was, I was watching a video about the TSMC factory they're building in Arizona. It just seems like so ridiculous. Yeah. Like it's in the middle of a desert. It needs it's a lot wild. of water. Like, why are you making it there? Um <laughs> But it's because, like, tax breaks and whatever. Arizona, yeah, tax exactly. breaks. It's yeah. the answer why anything is anywhere these days, yeah. you know? It's like tax breaks and public money going No unions. Um, and <laughs> right. That's the third one. Yeah. No, <laughs> actually, that's probably the first one, right? Like, no unions, then tax breaks right. and public money going into stuff. And they're talking about like, tapping University of Arizona students. I was like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. 
Arizona's mostly known for like having like hot people and parties. I don't know if it's known for like engineering. <laughs> oh my god, Andy, let's 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 ease off the academic. <laughs> we're we're going to back off that one. <laughs> um, the the last question I have about all of this, you know, is that like in terms of this topic is like all right so we have this rise in anti-asian hate which is hard to track but i do think that all of us would agree that something happened right like that it was but that maybe the ways in which the public or at least the media or people in ngos or whatever have tried to track it is probably a bit incomplete right which where you have like public harassment and stuff like that being counted and then you have these ridiculous numbers like saying there's a 536 percent increase it's like i don't know what that means i don't find that to be a very useful way to think about any of this right because like there's no earlier numbers and then you just made this number up you know so like what does it mean like you know you're just taking two yeah. th- random numbers and you're like doing a math equation based on it so i don't really know what that means but like what do you think in the end was the uh, like what came out of it? Is it sort of the development and the creation of a reactionary type of politics, especially amongst Chinese Americans who felt like they were under assault and that they had to band together in a way? Probably a little bit, you know, but like, I'm sorry, like, you know, like the Peter Lang protests and stuff like that, which is always the, you know, the sort of forebear for a lot of these politics that happened before the pandemic, right? right? Like that was before the pandemic. The Stuyvesant stuff was before the pandemic. Now, did it accelerate all that? Yeah, sure. But it didn't create it, right? And so then I was trying to figure out what it was like that, like what what the actual things that we can point to that were the legacy of these past three years of, you know, this fight against China, yeah. a lot of the blame being of the pandemic. Like what's what what can you point to? I get, one thing I'm nervous about that I'm see, I've seen signs of is, Jay, to your point, I think that's right. It's not as though right-wing conservative tendencies didn't exist in our communities around many different issues beforehand. But I do think the perception of and and like the obvious like footage of all of these spectacular acts of violence have given those groups like more reason and more resources to do their thing. And so there's been even a proliferation of charities that I consider somewhat specious that are doing, you know, quote unquote anti-Asian hate stuff and it's sort of unclear what it is right. unclear what the what the money is, is what it's doing what it intends to do like what problems they're really addressing um and i think some of that is taking energy away i think from probably like more community organizing groups and groups that have been doing things like in substantive productive ways for a long time so that's one thing i think that makes me a little concerned i also i think like from like maybe on a slightly like um less heavy angle this period has led to more attention to and maybe more funding of Asian art stuff. <laughs> so I think like the popular culture stuff, literature, arts, there's definitely more yeah. money and attention on that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's connected. I don't know. Yeah. That's right, feeling. right. Yeah. So you feel like there, it's like a sympathy. Like more Netflix getting... shows. I do, yeah. And yeah. I think it's a little bit of this kind of recognition politics that's popped off because yeah. of it. I mean, I went to the bookstore and this is probably probably already happening before the pandemic and you would, you all would know better than me, but like every book is by an Asian American author. (laughs) Yeah, we talked about that. (laughs) We're like, why are there so many? But they're also so many Korean authors. It's crazy. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yogurt aesthetic. I know. My hope is that one of these new Asian authors, you know, makes like all of us obsolete, right? (laughs) 
So I was thinking <laughs> about, I think I reached because I was thinking about the other day. Well, because you know, like when I was, tw- I, Tammy, I don't know if you felt this way, but when I was, or Andy, if you felt this way in your scholarship, but when I was like twenty two, twenty to like thirty, you know, I'd read these Asian authors and I'd just be like, these people are full of old, they're dinosaurs, you know, they're full of shit. Just wait till I get there. You know, I'm going to burn all this down and, you know, people will only know one thing, right? And that's what I say, right? Whatever. It's, I was young and ambitious, not ambitious, <laughs> but maybe just an asshole. And now that I'm 43, I am now thinking like, I just am waiting for somebody to come and do it, you know, where I'm just like, just give me the next vision where I'm like old and bullshit. And I just, you know, you want to be rendered obsolete. I just want, I want, I think it's already happened to us, Jay. I just want to fight with somebody (laughs) where I just have, where I can't just like be like, oh, well, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't care about, like, I want to fight with somebody where they don't just mention the third world liberation front. How about that? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I want like a dark vision that I can't deny, you know, that I can't just dismiss out of hand. And I'm hoping that one of these millions of Asian authors that are being published right now has something like that. I'm not saying that I have the hegemonic view of things. I have actually an extremely peculiar and small and niche view of these things, you know, but I just like kind of want somebody to just be like, I hate that guy. Fuck him. (laughs) I guess some of it has happened, but I don't find it that serious or it's not that I don't take it seriously, but I just, you know, I don't know. I'd still think I'm right. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll just think I'm right forever. But yeah, it's that Tammy, I think that, that that's true. Like, you know, there is this there is a renewed interest in a lot of this stuff, you know. But that is like kind of like that's like a small outcome. I'm not saying that to say that you're wrong. I'm just saying like is there any is there any like larger community wide stuff that you see? I agree with you that there's like more fear, right? And that people probably are more racist, I think, right, within the communities in a way. And that um, because the fear, I think, as we've explained on the show many times, it's not of white supremacy, right? It is a fear of crime. And in the places where a lot of these, mm-hmm. like New York City or or the Bay Area or Los Angeles, like it's coded as being, as being black crime is encroaching upon Asian American communities. And like that's a fear that has come out. And that fear was already there, right? But I think it's found much more of a clear expression right now. And I think that that is a lasting legacy, but it's very hard to quantify in yeah. a lot of ways, right? Because a lot of that stuff is not is not being set out in polite society, right? But yeah. I think it's quite there. Um, I think that's one thing that we can point to. Is there anything else? I think in terms of whether or not we're going to reflect on this moment as a sort of index moment in Asian American identity formation or history, like obviously we don't totally know yet, but I, I do think it's possible that we like in five or 10 years, we might say, Oh, that time during the pandemic was both a time where there was a little bit of like identity consolidation. Mm-hmm. Um, but also this kind of questioning about the political direction of Asian America, you know, kind of reevaluating that. So right. um, yeah. So I think that, that, Tension, I think, is what I, in a way, is illustrated by <laughs> these sort of right-wing charities on the one hand, and then these sort of holly, the proliferation of like artistic media on the other. It's kind of, in a way, like there's a duel up about this. Like, right, right. What is? I mean, this is sort of like what you write about. I think in your op-eds a lot of like, what is this kind of whatever soul of Asian America, or what is the sort of political direction of Asian America? 
But I also think there's probably you'll probably find we probably won't figure this out for uh, years later. But there's probably a decent amount of Asian Americans who are being uh, turned off by the very like uh, sort of mainstream liberal responses to this, and or maybe going more radical, I guess, left or right as a result mm-hmm. because they find like these mainstream Asian Americans slap API hate type responses are like inadequate and unsatisfying. Yeah, mostly right, I think. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, I'm in a bubble, so I have no idea. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the one, the, the, um, I was thinking about whatever that election was, I guess, in the, the fall, like, really confirmed a lot of the stuff that, you know, like we were talking about with, like, Hua and you about this kind of rightward shift of Asian American voting. That, that seems to be like a real concrete result of the last couple of years. I don't know if that's the pandemic, but it's, you know, it's a, it's like a discrete result of, or it's a discrete like phenomenon, you know? I think that basically the way that you can think about it is just to say that voting, like I write about voting shifts and I sometimes wonder if they actually matter because most people are usually just Democrats anyway, right? Like the overwhelming majority, the majority of Asian American voters are Democrats and it'll probably continue as generations, like as time goes on, because second generation tends to be more, liberal than the first at least the way that it's shaking yeah. out with with this particular immigrant population especially as they sort of ascend are educated and are placed mostly in liberal places right like uh you know i don't know like the bay area for example right it's hard to be a republican in the bay area it doesn't matter how red-pilled you are you'll just be like a <laughs> red-pilled democrat at some level right so um but yeah, I don't know. I just I don't know what to do with the fact that when I talk to people who are not part of this group, right, of kind of upwardly mobile liberal Asian Americans that uh they tend to be very red pilled, you know. And they're they're angry. Yeah. And um I don't think that it's hard to it's hard to But really... on the whole, most Asian people in America are still voting democratic. I mean, right. Yeah. You know, and so I think that that large picture hasn't necessarily changed, but yeah, I think there's this whole thing about, um, are the Michelle Steele types gonna, yeah. <laughs> you know, start increasing a number? I don't know. I mean, right. it depends. Yeah. I think we have We're a choice. We're talking about Chinese Americans, I think here yeah, like in New York I City, right? That, basically. <laughs> and I do think that the Asian American vote thing is skewed in large part by how overwhelmingly, uh, democratic the Indian American vote is. Right. And I don't know. I don't really know that and many I think Filipinos. Indian Americans who identify as Asian American, nor do I know many East Asian Americans who really think that Indian Americans are Asian American, you know? And so it's hard to like that, that, that voting number is always a bit confusing to me because, you know, it includes things that would not be universally agreed upon in the groups that we're discussing. Okay. Let's move to clip two. All right. April 13th, 2020 revisited do you think that this has been sort of a reckoning for the west you know in terms of of trying to figure out like well we're not immune to it like uh you know do you think that this has damaged american exceptionalism i think it should obviously but i don't think it has yet i think people are mostly very defensive um so like i said i mentioned earlier i wrote a sort of a short version of this um and i also uh later this last week and i kind of fleshed out that argument more um, after conversations with my friend, his name is Toby Dachau, he's an organizer in Chicago, who was pointing out, and I think we kind of all agree upon this, like, this kind of gets us into perhaps discussion with, like, Andrew Yang later, this question <laughs> of, like, how do you address racism 
you can't really moralize your way out of racism. Like, like you could shame people for being racist, but people don't who are racist probably don't see the point of that. Um, yeah. I think an effective argument in this particular case is to suggest that not to like debate whether or not it was China's fault or not, but rather like the very fact that so many parts of the world did not think it could happen to them directly led to so many you know unnecessary deaths. Um, so the examples yeah. I came up that came to that I've come across one was. This article about Italy, where this um, official, who I don't want to like, I'm not trying to attack her because I think she's very being, being very honest, saying we just thought it was like a science fiction movie, and it was not going to happen here. Um, uh, someone I do perhaps want to attack is this Kansas politician who said <laughs> uh, we don't need to prepare for the coronavirus because we have no Chinese people in our town. So whether or not <laughs> you feel like your society is exceptional, right? We have evidence that that particular attitude. Um, Kind of, you know, just kind of like fell flat on its face this time, and and has sort of undeniably dire consequences, right? <laughs> oh okay, damn it, your thoughts. <laughs> I don't think to do this. That's a, that's a pretty good. <laughs> no, take. I think this is I think great. That's a good take. We selected two of your right ones. You know, I think exactly. Like, like these two, <laughs> you're right you about. <laughs> there, you were wrong a lot on the show too. <laughs> Sometimes you would just like we all do. Obviously, it's a podcast. The, yeah. Uh, sometimes you just spoke in a circle. These are very clear coaching points here, <laughs> making you look good, Andy. Oh yeah. This God. is not. This is not the bad part. You know. Okay. Okay. And also, it was our first episode. <laughs> I think I'm actually great. listening back it's kind on of the episode. Honestly. Yeah, I'm impressed with a the audio quality, which people <laughs> always yeah. complain about. That and secondly, clean it up. <laughs> and the second thing, I was like, whoa. This show actually was like we were talking about real things back then. I I don't even remember the only thing. The only thing I remember about the early shows is that I was like recording in this tiny room in this Oakland rental that right. we were in to ride out the pandemic, and then I was miserable, you know. But I don't. I actually we were actually talking about things. All right, Tammy, your thoughts about what Andy Lou said and. April 13th, 2020. I was giggling because I was like, does Andy sound younger? Like, are we, have we all aged markedly in three years? Exactly the same. (laughs) I hope so. Um, I, it's funny. I think like, I wonder if Andy's view changed like even just a couple of months later because I do think American exceptionalism was damaged through the course of the pandemic. I think we're in a different place globally around who America is. And, you know, I think the jig is up. Wait, Um, why? Why do you think that? I think part of it has to be that we let a million and a half people die in this country. It was just so, I mean, I I was just reading something for work about, um, yeah, the death and sickness numbers this week. And I just kind of got shocked all over again about, I mean, we, we've all been so lucky on the show and, you know, I, I, think, I don't think we've lost people very, very close to us. Like, thank goodness. But it's, it's just kind of unthinkable what happened during that period. And I think like, yeah, what, what's been going on, um, even with the war in Ukraine, I think is also showing a little bit about, um, yeah, what role America plays in the world. I think like America has been less, perhaps less pompous than it might otherwise have been. I don't know. I, there seems to be like a little bit of a chagrined element in our approach to the rest of the world right now. Do you feel like China has replaced the United States then? And the, like, you know, because I just think if you are in I, a world of superpowers where a superpower exists, regardless of how diminished it may be, right? Yeah. That um, the United States probably still 
No, I, I think like we're still world. mostly in a unipolar world. I think like right. I think we basically have one hegemon in this world right now. I mean, I think obviously China's getting close in a lot of ways, but um, I think it's more about the way that the U.S. sees itself and the way that the U.S. is sort of calibrating the rise of China. Right. Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, I remember I was thinking back to that point that I was making on that clip. It was, it was initially like a very small point about how people in the U.S. didn't think they could ever get this disease. And that's obviously <laughs> been, you know, uh, they've been disabused of that in particular. Yeah. But I do kind of think Jay is right that people have tried to memory hole like the whole pandemic itself. I don't know if people yeah. really even talk about the casualties and the numbers anymore or the potential risks of it. I think people are still honestly going through like probably another several years of trauma before they can even talk about it. Um, but in terms of it damaging exceptionalism, I don't know. I think I can't really get a sense of how people, if the pandemic was responsible for anything. I mean, I, I do think... I don't know. It's almost hard to remember what the world was like three years ago. It probably, it probably. I think the U.S. is like um, just to kind of return to the earlier point about like U.S.-China like talks and all that stuff. I kind of think the U.S. is preparing itself. At least the Democratic Party is preparing itself for a world where they basically share power with China um, yeah. rather than try to crush China. Um, and I don't know what the Republicans think about that, but I think I don't know. I think they're probably fine with it too. Yeah, just because you know. The donor base here and, you know, the actual people who matter in terms of the way in which policy is written, you can say we can't, uh, we're not going to, like, unless there's a full on nationalist populist type of thing, arguing that we should reroute all this manufacturing and whatever back to the, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. Yeah. I think everybody has realized that because it's impossible for it to happen without completely uprooting everybody's life here in America, which nobody wants to do, Yeah, you know? Like, I mean, people would rather not lose their iPhones than, right? right? Like, I mean, like, it's it's that simple. Right, there are all sorts of things where people are not going to take, like, a 45% hit to their net worth just to, right, have less reliance on China. Like, nobody's going to do that. And so, you know, until now, is that good long-term, like, Maybe, maybe not, but you're not going to make the argument to the people who are going to take the hit and have them believe you, right? Yeah. Like, so it just seems kind of stuck. You no, know, right? I thought it was telling. I didn't, I didn't follow this that closely, but when Mac, Mac, Macron, Macron, whatever, how do you pronounce his name? He basically made like very. Um, he didn't. He like made these like olive branch gestures towards China when he visited last month, and that like apparently initially like upset other EU leaders, but it's also like a sign that. You know, even people deep in the U.S. coalition or whatever yeah. are like can see the writing on the wall, and they shouldn't make enemies with China. That they need these economic mm-hmm. relationships with China, and so and yeah. So I don't think I think the idea of a bipolar or whatever bipolar, uh, oh well, whatever, like a Cold War, I think is kind of giving way to this idea of like a bipolar arrangement, power sharing, power sharing arrangement yeah. for better or for worse. And I think a lot of the talk about like, this is about democracy versus, versus authoritarianism. I think a lot of people are like less wowed by that these days and more just like, what is the economic right. reality? Everybody knows. Yeah. 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 Uh, and That's... the other thing is like the rest of the world, half the world is actually like on China's side. Uh, the poor countries are a lot of more on China's side because they've received more aid from China than the U S than they have from the U S and so to paint this as a purely U.S. versus China thing, I think, um, I don't know, like, the full picture, but just looking, I was just looking at these numbers. I was, like, uh, like polling survey numbers, and a lot of countries favor China over the U.S. Um, 
uh, for like BRI development reasons. So I don't know, it's kind of eye-opening and uh, we probably have to think about the big picture more than just like two two rival powers in a vacuum. Yeah, I I think American, ex- like just to go back to the original question and what you were saying, Tammy, like I I think that you can see it in some strange ways, right? Like, but I don't, I don't think they're fully expressed in a way. So there's this question right now, which is that like there is record low unemployment and people tend to have, people have jobs and that mm-hmm. um, there are all these markers that say that the U S economy at least is actually quite good right now, right? Regardless of what the stock market is at and that they're, you know, stats on, for example, child poverty and how like child poverty has gone down over the last like 15, 20 years, stuff like that, right? Where young people should feel hopeful about the future in a way that they are not, right? And so I find myself a lot of times in this strange position where I think like, I really do think that young people feel extremely precarious about the future and hopeless about the future for a variety of reasons, including climate, but also they just don't think that they're going to have the same economic life that their parents had. Right. And that I instinctively want to believe that's true, but I have a hard time finding too much evidence that that's true outside of just the basic trend towards income inequality. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know when people have, like, it's not like I don't, I didn't grow up in the 0.1%. So, you know, like, <laughs> so like, I don't know, like, I, it's just, uh, I don't quite see like, like, it's like, oh, we're going to, I'm going to lose everything and I'm, I'm going to have a harder time. Um, and I don't I, I think that part of that despair is actually because of the pandemic um, from young people, right? Yeah. That that's how it's expressed is like, I don't, cause they don't really have faith that the United States is going to be stable in the way that it was for us growing up in the nineties. Right. Um, and that, and for that, I think that's the effect of it. It's like young people don't trust things, but I do think the, I agree with Andy in which like the rest of it has, is just being aggressively memory hold in a way that I find to be like, so bizarre because I also do it. Right. And you have like people like discussing things things that happened over the last four years, trends that have taken place that don't really factor in the pandemic at all. Right. Like I saw, like, I mean, like, look, I don't, I I know that we're not going to go too deep into it because we're going to talk about it later. This ongoing, this like sort of blown up conversation that people are having about homelessness right now. Right. And um, because of what happened with Jordan Neely, um, I'm shocked at how much people, are like not factoring in when it comes to street homelessness, chronic homelessness, like the pandemic, right? It, really? fundam- it fundamentally yeah. changed everything about homelessness, both in on the West and East Coast, right? Because shelters had to socially distance. People got kicked out. A lot of people, you know, like basically like kind of couldn't figure out how to work or, or whatever. Like, you know, there was patches and there were holes in whatever types of eviction moratoriums. Homelessness exploded yeah. on both coasts during the pandemic, um, especially unsheltered homelessness, which is, you know, like what somebody like Jordan Neely was, I think, describes like sometimes you're in a shelter, sometimes you're not. But a lot of times people, caseworkers are trying to put get you into a shelter, but for whatever reason, you don't want to be. And I just found that so fascinating because it's just like, no, like the reason why you're seeing this explosion really was because of the pandemic in a lot of ways. And um, it doesn't it's never the first thing that's mentioned. Right. Mm. It's always that's like, bizarre. Yeah, I yeah, that just seems so obviously the case, like it, with anything health or labor related, that it's right, just a completely right. game changing. Because the other thing I would add to the despair and just these weird kind of 
emanations in the labor force is just that the pandemic also did give people this kind of just perspective on like, what am I even doing? Right. Why do I have this ridiculous job? And, you know, and so I think pandemic? like that's part okay. of this. Weird... Yeah, no, I do. I mean, I, I think. I was already doing that anyway. Kind of... Well, yeah, no, you have work. <laughs> you know, that's why I really see like all they these do, weird but, things you know, where it's like. That's on us. <laughs> yeah. But there's that... like, you know, these like low, like low unemployment rates and, you know, people don't want to go to, you know, there's lots of jobs that are relatively high, higher paying right now, but people don't want them. You know, there, there's yeah. like all this weird psychological stuff going on that is definitely just from the pandemic. Right. But I think overall we have to conclude that it's a very good state of affairs, right? That people, that there's very low unemployment in their oh, jobs. Yeah. No, this can, is like yeah. the best labor market right. for workers, like in a really, really long time. But right. I just mean like, it, it's like, that's why I think like the Fed and all these people are like freaking out, right? Because it's like, oh, like this is going to cause inflation, but also it doesn't like these things don't really make sense. And it doesn't make sense necessarily because we're not robots. And it's because people are like thinking about their lives. Right, right, right. Yeah, I I don't know. I think, but I I don't know if other than that, there's like been a dent to American exceptionalism because I think that Trump so fundamentally changed the way the rest of the world looked at America and that that sort of predated the pandemic. And I don't know if other countries who are also probably trying to aggressively memory hold the entire pandemic look at the United States and say, you let so many more people die than you had to. Um, but I do think that it's a tr- they would be right, you know, yeah, but they do. I, I don't know if they, they think that way. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't left the country. I have no idea what other people think. Um, I also wonder if it's also I was thinking about this, you know, when we we're talking about other episodes to talk about um because we had a whole episode about Kamala. Like, I wonder if it's also just like, we don't... <laughs> we did? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jay's forgotten. Well, I've never held this entire podcast. I, know, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not the pandemic. It's I know. Like the whole, <laughs> yeah, whole life. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's like, not to get like bogged down to like presidential politics, but it's like, there's no, we don't have like, we don't have like an image of a national leader that's like front and center that you know, at least for like the Democrats used to give people like a sense of like, you know, with Obama, like we know who this guy is, like we're proud we elected him. He's young, you know, he's up and coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> now we're like, I don't know. The more you think about Biden running at 82, the more it's like really scary. Oof. And how yeah. the, is there's it? no plan I'm B. I'm fine with it. You're fine I don't, with it. I think I'm it's, fine with it. I think it's almost like elder abuse. It's like, it's crazy. <laughs> Really? Why? Why? Who would you run instead? It's like the most stressful you... job in the world, and he's oh over who would, you, who would you run That's instead? That's the issue. There's nobody Bernie? else. That's the issue. <laughs> the and he's older. trying to demand more, Jay. Um, so it's either basically, yeah, we're, doing, we're in a I'm rut. I'm past that. I'm fine with fine running. I like. I don't know who else could run. <laughs> And I think if you, you know, Andy, it's like when people are like, oh, well, they should fire this NBA coach. And your yeah, yeah, follow-up exactly. question is like, okay, who are you going to hire exactly. instead? And so they're like, like, I don't know, someone younger not- <laughs> who has good ideas. You're like, oh, cool. Right. You know, one of those, right? right? right. You can't even name a person Joe like Missoula. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so there's no like, so Kamala, did it, Kamala, we assumed Kamala would be next, but I guess not. And I don't know. I do feel like there's a sense of like, uh, I don't know what the word is like. My feeling towards U.S. politics is like uh, not optimistic. Just like keep your head down and just hope like something dramatic happens to change the situation. Because it seems like we're just stuck in 2020 still. Trump versus Biden, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know. I, I think that also is like 
contributing to contributing to a lot of people's sense of like we don't know what there's to look forward to. Hmm. Yeah. Fair? I don't know. I've yeah. Oh, I, I think there is a. I think that I I find that myself thinking about this with my two children quite a bit, which is that, and I don't know if this is how all parents feel, but I don't. I have no idea. I was talking to other parents uh, at the skate park yesterday and. You know, there's no consensus on whether like college is going to exist amongst like Berkeley parents, for example. You know, like there's like college in the way that it's done right now. Like there's no consensus that it's going to be that way in 10, 15 years. Yeah. What do you mean? Like that this current system of exclusive colleges and everybody competing and it being really expensive, whether that's going to be blown up. Like people actually don't know the answer to that, right? And I think that when we were growing up, we would have absolutely, our parents would have said, yeah, you know, we want them to go to college because they can get a good education oh. and they can, uh, you know, they can have a degree that will matter and they can build a life around that. But like there, I, I found like almost no consensus among that, amongst almost anybody. And I think that might be a I'm college. I'm surprised by that. That might be a college specific thing because college is so crazy right now or college admissions so crazy there's so much like fervor around it but uh i don't know i don't think that people really see the same stability in their kids lives i certainly don't like i don't know what my kid is gonna do at 24 like i have no idea what the country is gonna be like i don't think our parents really felt that way maybe because they didn't know america because they're all immigrants but like i think that white people are you know people who americans period right like i think that they probably didn't quite they probably felt more stable for our generation than we do for our kids. Right. Don't you think? I don't know. I mean, yeah. If the question is like, is the education sector expanding? It's not, it's kind of shrinking. Um, right. But uh, on an individual basis, I, I don't know. I would assume you would want your kid to go to college and apply to college at 16, 17 and go through the same. Yeah. I would have thought so too. Like, why would you? And I feel like at least for people in, Berkeley, who are hanging out with you on the playground, I would think that they are all very confident that their kids are going to go to elite colleges and the elite colleges no, are they're more, not. Sta- more they're stable not. than America. <laughs> well, the elite colleges are getting crazy, crazily intense. So No, no, they don't of... feel that way at all. They feel like their kids will not get in any of these schools yeah. and that their kids won't even go to any of the UCs, right? Like, that's how they feel. Uh, because but of is the... that a reasonable fear? I mean, yeah, I think yeah. so. The yeah. stories, yeah, yeah I, don't I think so. As pure yeah. anecdotes, there are a lot of anecdotal stories. stories where kids get do really well and they try very hard and they get rejected from every school. Like it's pretty common, you know. Everybody knows at least one person that leads to a general fear, like a, and then they feel like, okay, well, what's the kid's life going to be? Because they've structured their own lives around right. academic right. accomplishment or whatever. And it is scary, you know? I don't think that the answer to that is like scoffing at them. It's obviously expanding the idea right. of what those resources can be for people so that there's not such a crazy resource war where people are going to, you know, feel like they have no space in it despite being very privileged and then turn towards reactionary politics because they're mad that they've lost their space, right? Like, um, but it's definitely happening. That's the only mm-hmm. that's the only real evidence that I see, though, where it's just like people don't really know about their kids' futures. But obviously, that's an extremely important thing, right? It's like maybe the most powerful form of politics is people worrying about their kids. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This whole conversation has just led me to realize we have we have like no idea what's going on next. Like we're still kind of in the pandemic, but we're still kind of in the post pandemic phase, and things aren't normal yet. If they ever were normal, I guess. Um, That's true. 
Yeah, we're just basically hoping Joe Biden can hold on for four more years and then we'll figure it out sometime in the next four years. That's basically where we're at on the Democrat side, right? And now for the Republican, I think it's even bleaker, right? Like they must be like, what the fuck? We're stuck with this crazy DeSantis dude who nobody likes and can't like, you know. Why, and then why, we've got, they, why isn't it Trump? He's winning all the polls, isn't he? No, no, I know. But I think a lot of people feel pretty ambivalent about Trump and whether or not Trump has any chance right, of winning. Right, right, right. And that if he doesn't, what it means, because like it could be this total wipeout where like down ticket to it, like just wipes him out. You know, I think I don't know. And what's their future beyond this guy who's really old? Yeah. You know? They're both so old. Yeah. <laughs> They're both so old. It's like for a while they thought it was going to be this kind of like quasi populist Josh Hawley type of guy. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. And that's not working. Right. Like Blake Masters or whatever. It's like these people they just keep losing elections and like people hate them, you know, like uh, they have no ability to unite anybody within the country or appeal to any type of centrist voter. Right. Because they're all lunatics. And, um, and so I think that they probably feel more bleak about their political future than we do. Yeah. You know, at least we got Joe. <laughs> like Pete. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. So on this point, I can I ask a question about, um, this kind of goes back to the U.S.-China stuff a little bit, but it's also, um, I guess it's kind of about the Biden administration and their whole strategy for getting through this whole thing. So like I mentioned like the Biden administration has kind of like softened their tone on China. There was a speech by Jake Sullivan two weeks ago or a week ago that mm -hmm. kind of got attention where he talks about this quote unquote new Washington consensus. Yeah. So the Washington consensus in the 90s was basically like Jeffrey Sachs, pro-globalization, pro liberalization, everything should be markets. And Jake Sullivan um, says basically a speech where they like, he makes a very like, almost like leftist criticism of neoliberalism by saying like, we erred by letting markets take care of everything. We need a new Washington consensus. So on the one hand, it's sort of like this thing that like progressives and leftists should celebrate, right? Like we, we like, we gave up too much to, he doesn't use the word neoliberalism, but that's basically what he's talking about. And so he's, they're trying to like herald this new era of U.S. politics and U.S. blah, 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 blah. But then the conclusion is still kind of referring back to like the U.S. needs industrial policy, but it needs to do so to like to stop China, to stop the rise of China, our enemies and so on and so forth. And I've been thinking about like, okay, critique of neoliberalism, good, but like response is nationalism, which it has to be probably because it's a, you know, it's a national party. What is the case for a leftist to persuasively say, instead of nationalism, we should go for like a greater embrace of internationalism or a greater embrace of global cooperation? Um, because isn't that opening us up to the exact same dynamics of like gutting American jobs and losing manufacturing overseas and so on and so forth? Like, what is the alternative to basically the Republican and now kind of increasingly Democrat vision of like a, a, a hold off national like an, an one nation against another nation uh, kind of mm -hmm. worldview. I think the the progressive case, the one that I've, you know, by like activists would say like all countries should reinvest in infrastructure and education, do all these things like, like Jay was talking about, like more university, more university access to for everyone and so on and so forth. Those are still national policies though, too. I yeah. Mean, but it could be like, you know, yeah. as American workers or, you know, people in American companies, we should support, Chinese workers and we should support workers in the global South because their victories are our victories and so on. But I don't know if that's a little too pie in the sky to just not going to say that, but yeah. right. so that's I mean, not an economics argument. That's like an activist cool. argument. 
Yeah. So I guess, but I guess that is the question in terms of, you know, for those of us left of the Democrats, we're like happy that they are finally listening to this critique of neoliberalism. But on the other hand, what is the persuasive response to like, and therefore we should stop China's ascent, you know? Well, um, some people feel like, that way, right? Like the American prospect people, right? Matt Stoller, like some of these people. I mean, I don't, right? yeah. yeah, I don't. Well, they're, I'm just saying they're making yeah, that yeah. argument on, yeah, the, yeah. on the left, right? Yeah. I, I actually, mean, that, yeah, I mean, I think I'm not, I wasn't, oh, I thought Tammy. that, what? Are you going to go Matt Stoller? Am I going to go Matt Stoller? No, I <laughs> barely know that guy. I think, um. I, the thing that Jake is Jake Sullivan's statement about a new Washington consensus is based entirely on a justification of industrial policy and industrial policy that's federally yeah. determined. Reinvestment and, into a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just having industry here. And I, I have to say, I don't think it's that bad. I mean, I, so, so here's like a, what a leftist case for what you were saying. Like Americans need jobs so that they are work, can identify as workers who have solidarity with other workers also. So in other words, like you can also imagine a situation in which if we continue down a road where there's actually no domestic infrastructural industrial development here, there's actually no industrial working class that can even adopt an identity that leads to internationalism. Like you need to have stability here. Yeah. And I do think that um, we can be internationalists while saying, as structured right now, we don't have a global economy where everything is shared, right? Like mm -hmm. every country does need some modicum of its own industrial development. And I think that's the best case of right. what some of these Biden policies are trying to get us to. I think that's, I'm trying to do this kind of most generous interpretation, right. but I do think there's something that we can work with in that. Right. But in terms of like the U.S. should not turn away from the world, it should embrace the world. No, I think, Yeah. The jobs that the US Americans are going to have are not manufacturing jobs. Uh, you know, those are going to kind of those are kind of lost already, right, to the rest of the world. But that almost well, sounds no, but like, that's what they're trying to do, right? I mean, I think I think it almost begins to sound like you know Hillary Clinton saying coal miners can learn how to program. You know, like yes, we can have jobs, but they're going to be different jobs. Um, I mean, I, I guess that's the fear is like as someone saying the U.S. should embrace global integration. Are you beginning to sound like? A neoliberal from the '90s, and that's because I can't think of us. I can't think of another way to frame it. Um, I just kind of, I just kind of play these games in my head, and like, well, like, what's the case for progressive globalization that doesn't mm -hmm. sound like just 1990s globalization? Yeah, um, I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there because no, I'm, I mean, I think I'm honestly it's like wrestling with it. I think it's really challenging, but I think there is a version of Sullivan's argument, which is that. Um, in the U.S., we probably do need a baseline of development in certain high-tech sectors that we are completely have nothing yeah. on basically right. right now, you know, right. and that that is like a, from a left perspective, perhaps a labor force that can be organized, like a labor force that can also, you know, develop, um, develop yeah. not just in a nationalistic direction, but in a different direction as well. But people need jobs. And I think the country also does need its own like domestic development. I do sound really weird right now, but um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I, I'm obviously like a supporter of kind of some of the central planning stuff. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm in theory, I am too, but um, yeah, it kind of it quickly veers into it's like tricky national economics, you. national socialism. It does like by American. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know. Is there anything else in the last three years that, you know, of us doing this show where something sticks out to you where you felt like we were completely right or completely wrong? And let's keep this 
I, I hear your laughter and I understand <laughs> that it's a ridiculous question. So let's limit it to the pandemic specifically, because this show was started by the three of us to discuss the pandemic. And like, you know, it can be anything from Korea's role, for example, right, which was much celebrated, right, to uh, masking or, you know, the way in which people thought about China and these wet markets and pangolins and now like the lab leak becoming a much more accepted theory like well like is there anything else you feel like you know we either got really right or got really wrong um i have one smaller one broader one the very small one is um when people are speculating about the origins i think i wrote a piece that was like looking at you know all the patient zeros and just like speculating who these people are kind of basically like quasi doxing them but i actually talked to um I'm from Everett, Washington, and I have a friend. One of the first cases in the U.S. was from Everett. Yeah. And I talked to someone who actually knows the person. And my speculation was, like, these are, like, basically high, highly educated, transnational. And I was confirmed. Like, yeah, it was, like, a software developer person and without doxing who they are. But, like, so I was like, yes, like, my guesswork was right. Well, remember, so, I was, like, following ski resorts for a while, too. There like, was that. Yeah. And, and like, like fashion like, galas and stuff. Right, yeah. More broadly, I think, and this kind of um, came up in, you know, we talked about um, the newsletter from Don Wong a couple of years ago um, and reading his most recent one. There were like two or three years where zero COVID was celebrated. And I actually wonder if it'll ever be remembered positively ever again no. because of how badly it ended. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of bizarre that there's this like two-year pocket of lots of positive press about China's COVID response that is just like gonna look so bizarre in the future probably it'll probably only be remembered for how it fucked it was how fucked up it was by the end right i agree yeah but i think that extends to the united states too in a lot of ways right like i've been thinking about this quite a bit recently which is that i think that basically if you ask people what their feelings were about the lockdowns here in the united states that you will see a massive swing of opinion in the last you know and a lot of it is just you know recency bias because we're not locked down anymore and a lot of it is like a sense of inevitability with the pandemic that whatever we did wasn't going to matter and the people have now at this point heard about like the low excess mortality rate in sweden or whatever right and they mm -hmm. have like picked whatever they've cherry picked whatever f think facts that they want to show that the pandemic was excess the response to the pandemic was excessive and i think that this is I'm not saying that they're correct, but I'm saying that this is probably a natural response as we get further and further away from any type of drastic government action is that it looks worse for the wear, unless it was like this amazing, amazing nation building event, right? Like a war or something yeah. like that. Right. And so, um, I think Tammy, what we oh, were talking about people. before, like I'm more concerned about that mm -hmm. in terms of resentment and in terms yeah. of, uh, people's despair which is that like people do not people's faith in the government and people's faith in any type of like centralized or or large government program like it is absolutely damaged by the pandemic in ways that i think we didn't think about that much three years ago because we just felt like well we have to do these lockdowns and anyone who says we're not is like a right wing crazy right but i i just think that people's opinions on all this has swung especially when it comes to schools right but i do think that it's more complicated than that where they feel like okay anyone who did this is wrong and i'm gonna get rid of them and we're gonna i just think that it's weird because like democrats are winning but they're not you know they're winning by basically never talking about the 
the pandemic. <laughs> right? And I think that's DeSantis's problem too, which is just that like, he can't talk about the one thing he did, which was like have a different response to the pandemic than other governors because nobody wants to think about the pandemic. But I do still think that there is like a eroded trust of institutions that has taken hold in this country. And I think it infects everything, right? Like literally everything. But I also think that it's basically interned underneath a bunch of other stuff at this point because nobody wants to ever talk about the pandemic. I'm with them. I don't ever want to talk about the pandemic either. You know, like, do you like, I, I like, I, I've much rather, like, it's, it's like a shitty thing to talk about. We've already, everybody has already given their opinion about it for three fucking years. Right. Like nobody wants to talk about this shit. I don't want to think about my kid having to grow up wearing a mask and stuff. Like who wants to do that? You know? And so you just forget about it. So that, that's, I think that's my sort of takeaway from all of this, which is that I think we, I think at some point we kind of, that this idea about, pandemic response became so polarized that we felt like the polls were going to be constant and that they were going to never merge and that there wouldn't be any switching back and forth, right? That we would live in a divided country that was based entirely on how one felt about pandemic response. Remember, like there were even periods where like we were talking about should the West Coast secede from the rest of the country because we (laughs) have like they have a different idea of pandemic response than the rest than everybody else, right? And I think that three years later, it just feels like a lot of people are kind of concluding that a lot of the stuff was excessive and that the response to that might just be like a fear of government. Okay. But let's not forget. Yeah. But we have to like remind all of our fellow people about (laughs) all of the great federal programs that came to our rescue during the pandemic. And I mean, that was the greatest expansion of the federal and state welfare state that we've seen in decades. And it was a huge, it was a lifesaver. It was a huge help to people. Yeah. Right. No, and, no, I'm agree. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I know. You know I know you don't disagree. No, I just like, it's me. so, yeah. it made me so sad that, that we like saw this incredible intervention and that nobody, that part has been memory hold as well. Like yeah, for sure. that freaking <laughs> saved kids from dying. And like, right. you know, it was just so, it's so crazy. And now like this, this spring season is basically when all of those programs are going away. Right. So in California, all of these dramatic Medicaid cliffs and, you know, food stamps. I mean, it's just, it's really mind boggling that, yeah, we haven't, yeah, we can criticize certain like local school things, blah, 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 but we're completely forgetting this kind of like mini new deal moment that we had. Don't you feel like, like the end of the pandemic concluded with people like way more pro vaccine and proud of the vaccine than, no, no, so? no, 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 not at all. No, you think it reinforced anti-vax tendencies? Yeah, I think oh, okay. intensely. I don't. I think it. I don't know. Anti-vax. I, know. I haven't. I, I have the vaccine. Like in my community, or like people <laughs> I talk to, I feel like people are very excited about vaccines. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't. I love the vaccine. I think that. I think the vaccine. I think vaccines in general, and and Fauci, and all. Like I just think it was. I think people's. I think that's just the loudest, but not necessarily the majority. I don't know. Majority. I don't, I don't, maybe I'm just sublimating something, you know? <laughs> no. But like, I just, I, just, I think it, like, I hate Fauci. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. But I like, think the, these things are very, other like, geographic too, you know? So. Right. I mean, I do live in, you know, anti vax yeah, center. Exactly. Right. So. A bunch of. <laughs> It's like so Berkeley is. Oh yeah, yeah. anti vax central, really. The Karen style of anti vaxxer Yeah, you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, there's also <laughs> there are a ton of unvaccinated kids running around this city because. Uh, well, kids is I don't think kids was ever going to get to hundred. The what? Fifty percent. 
No, I mean, vaccination was always no, but low. it's because their parents hate vaccines. It's because their parents hate vaccines <laughs> for themselves as well, though. Like the yeah, yeah, themselves. yeah. Anti, yeah. Like have the you never met? Have you never met like a rich liberal hippie va- anti-vaxxer? No, I know, but I feel like a lot of the times the kid, the people, <laughs> the kids did not get vaccine because they're, but their parents would vaccine the, vaccinate themselves. No, 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 no. That we are talking about a different breed of person here. But <laughs> yeah. um, I don't, Tammy, See well, where like, you are, Andy. <laughs> yeah, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Um, okay, well, I'm glad we did this. It was a bit clunky, but, you know, I think we got through it. <laughs> I think that we did a good retrospective of our takes from back then. Andy, I think you sounded very smart back in 2020. You really you know? did. I'm impressed. Yeah, I was mortifying. I, I can't believe I sat through all this. What did you. I sound like? Because we didn't, we, didn't, uh, we didn't share any of me and Tammy's takes. They probably <laughs> May was ter- listening, re-listening. She's like, they sound like idiots, but we can pull these clips of <laughs> yeah, Andy saying probably, something reasonable. They're probably terrible. Like, Tammy was talking about <laughs> Korean masks and stuff. And just like, <laughs> yeah, do you think Korea is going to be remembered fondly? Their response? No, I, well, I don't think anyone cares anymore. Yeah. This whole, like, idea that Asians do it better. I think we, I think Asians did do it better, but yeah, yeah but I agree that probably did no they, one cares. Though, and now also like, I think, the I think it reinforced yeah, orientalist yeah. fetishization of Asia. I think that. Oh, think, that for sure. That's but fine. I think that's Fewer people died. Like, I don't the, care. The clean part of it. <laughs> Tammy, do you feel like the surveillance state that was built in Korea was like, you know, that it's like a, it's an okay um, collateral damage for the pandemic response and that it was completely necessary for the Korean <laughs> pandemic response? Feels like a leading question. Um, I think <laughs> <laughs> there were definitely parts of it that were extremely invasive, but I, I think on the whole, it probably will be looked upon as something that was necessary to prevent mass death. How's it? What's the attitude in Korea? Is it like people are generally supportive of how the state responded because i know i mean did it have anything did it have anything to do with the fact that you know they switch parties well yeah i was gonna say i think it's very politically determined you know so depending on what your how your party loyalties are it'll you'll have a different gloss on the way it was but i think everyone can agree that generally people made out okay just in terms of well-being right yeah but you know yeah but of course there were lots of civil liberties issues that came up for sure no one cares about that stuff except me. You know, I was like, I realized that recently where I was like, I was saying, I was thinking about like all, you know, Eric Adams's homelessness response where he's expanding the definition of what it means to be like in distress or a threat. Right. right? Yeah. And that basically For involuntary it used to be that you had to actually present a threat. And now it has to be, you have to like, basically a police officer has to suspect that you might at some point pre- present a threat. And I, in my head, I was like, that's fucking unconstitutional. No, that's, no, that, I feel like that, to me, that is very different. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm making false distinctions. No, no, but no, 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 no. I'm totally not talking about you. I'm just saying in general, people don't care about civil liberties part of it. Really? You know? Yeah. The only person who's like yelling, and that is unconstitutional, a violation of civil liberties. Like, it's like me and like three lawyers at the ACLU and everybody no, else. That? Is, and everybody <laughs> else, but everybody else sees it from like a purely carceral standpoint now i know that the two oh, are I late see, I see. but they're um, just like oh hmm. but you're expanding police power i'm just like yes but beyond that there's like this concern about like about which is linked obviously but like it should yeah. be illegal it is illegal what you're it doing is, is Ill- illegal it is clearly yeah. illegal yeah and it's like nobody cares about the illegal part anymore i think and maybe it's because no. of, and maybe they're right maybe it's just that only nerds care about that type of no, stuff you Jay, know but, you had no people care People care. People care about the. You think they care about I more of it than that than totally. just like the you're expanding police power and the yes. cops wouldn't do it. Okay, all right. I hope you're right. 
I think so. I mean, I hope you're right. God. But that's my dinosaur moment. It's just like, I always <laughs> just like process this stuff being like, well, you know, it's like a violation of civil liberties. And people are like, free speech sucks and you're a dork. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, maybe. You know, actually, I, I'm starting to hear that now. He should right? be like, uh, I feel like he should be in commercials for the ACLU from like 1983. Yeah, exactly. That's my <laughs> politics. ACLU has commercials? If you had to isolate my politics. Did, it would be like be, Jay's face. Being yeah. Like, yeah. Right. It'd be like 1983 ACLU. Exactly. Right? Like, that's me, you know, <laughs> with like some various communist streaks. And, I'm pretty sympathetic yeah. to that. But yeah, I feel like you, you're very purely that. Yeah. I think people have just accepted that no more privacy and rights anymore. I know. No, that's you're, a, yeah. that's the other part. In yeah, the post-Snowden yeah. world. Yeah, right, yeah. Right, people right. don't even care that they're being surveilled all the time by like a un, like a completely random network of private like, cameras. Give it's it my soft. iPhone or have rights. You know, right. it's I like know. iPhone. I know the video. We can talk about that some other time. But this video <laughs> stuff has made me so depressed, Tammy. Like, it's awful. I, I hate how. All politics, like in terms of mass politics, especially online, requires this. Oh, right. A video. And they're like, Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that. Right. Where I'm just like, Look, man, like these issues around this tragedy, this murder of this, of Jordan Neely, are important and he deserves justice. But like, what are we talking about at this point? We're just talking about what happened before the video started and whether or not this guy was justified or not. Like, I don't think he was justified, but the way to refute that is so fucking easy is that somebody in two days comes up with a video that shows that this guy, you know, like did something and then everybody just interprets that video like it's fucking Zapruder film and it's an endless stupid conversation, you know? And it's like, like, okay, let's put a pin in that because yeah. we have to talk about that at length. Okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, it makes me really mad. I know. I've been, I've been it like, should make you mad because I've really been in like distress it. about it because like I actually don't know what the end really point awful. of like actual yeah. left protest movements is if it like is just sent around video that appears, you know, like, and that's what it feels like we're at right now. So we'll talk about that later. All right, Andy, thank you for coming Andy, back it's on. So good to Thanks, see guys. You. Go Sixers. Ugh. No. Who Go, are you rooting for? Uh, Denver? I mean, my agenda is <laughs> Nuggets, yeah. Warriors. Uh, I would prefer the Celtics over the Lakers and the Suns, I guess. But those Andy are... has a basketball take taste of like of like uh, he has like very no, don't go that. Yeah, don't go that he has direction. very elitist, quasi white supremacist. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> this is my take: the fake wokeness of NBA. Yeah, he's like the he is. It's like. Uh, NPR. Wait, I wait, like don't, teams. Okay. Wait, wait, don't tell I'm me sorry. a basketball. I like, I like, a basketball I like, I like so that's a team up. sport. I like teams. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. You feel the same way. I know. Okay, you feel the same way. No, I just don't like you. Okay. Andy, All right, what well, are you doing on June 10th? Um, are you guys having a party? Let's do it. I could probably come. Yeah. Okay. okay we're going to so, have an anniversary picnic on June cool. 10th. And Let's Andy and Jay are going to be in town. Oh, I'll be in New York City. Yeah. And um, thank you for listening to our show. Please do sign up so that you can attend this picnic. Uh, we'll be distributing information through probably through Substack, but also through our Discord server, which you can uh, sign up for $5 a month. Thank you, as always, to May Schatz, who is the producer of the show and helped yeah. prepare this. Thanks, these man. great clips of Andy, which I think make <laughs> Andy sound great. But, you know, Andy is being... 
very, very unappreciative of me. No, un- unappreciative of the work. It's just self-loathing. <laughs> it was hard to find clips where you sounded. Just coming in the rough. It's like AI generated now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in fact, we never said that. You know, and the, <laughs> that was ChatGPT and like <laughs> um. And uh, if you'd like to if you'd like to support the show, it's five dollars a month at goodbye.substack.com or patreon.com slash ttsgpod, or you can email us at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com. Uh, is there anything you need to promote, Andy? Uh, nothing to promote. I'm out, the I'm Denver out Nuggets in Game Five. Uh, <laughs> by the time you listen to this, the Warriors will either be eliminated or they're back on track for title number six. Oh, that's true. Five. Wait, no, that's five. not true. They wouldn't be eliminated because game five well, is tonight. If they're yeah. going on 3 1, it's over. It's the mm, dynasty is over. Are you sure? Yeah, maybe. You know what I found at the bottom of my closet uh, a few a days Celtics ago? Jersey. No, I, found, I made this t shirt when the Warriors were up 3 1 in the, and lost. And it uh, says the Warriors okay. were up 3-1 in the finals. And I've printed out a t-shirt. And I've always been wondering what happened to it. And I found it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what a hater. Tammy, anything to promote? <laughs> no. Okay, me neither. All right. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.